freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports. Oh, what do you do? You're a manager. It doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Hello! Oh, good morning. Happy Monday. People have been asking for it. More, I'm already looking at the text line. So uh, here we are, a special three-hour show today, 7 to 10. Mike Lefko with you. And Maura Dooley, welcome to, I was going to say, welcome to the cold room, but it feels kind of pleasant in here today. Yeah, this, so this is what the other side this is, is the like, other huh? side. Behind the glass. I, yeah, I was worried because Salk is always complaining about how cold it is, but apparently someone left the space heater on all weekend and set it up for me nicely. So thank I, you, I think maybe you kind they, soul. Maybe they thought he was coming in. Oh, and they're okay. like, ah, Saul complains too much about the cold, so we better we better warm him up a little bit. But yeah, how does uh, how does this room, how does this chair feel so far? Uh, I feel like I feel powerful. <laughs> it's it's way different than being in the in the dark back there, and like you know, my mic only comes on if I happen to say something. Yeah, my I mean, like the camera shot only only like flashes to Justin and I every now and then. Now I'm. I don't know. Should I be nervous? No. I mean, why? We're talking about the same <laughs> things you guys always talk about. Uh, you're just now you're kind of in charge here. So we're going to oh. we're going to talk through everything you guys usually talking about. Uh, Shannon Dreyer will join us at 930. Uh, Maura and I will carry you up until 10. Huge, wild weekend of sports. I mean, everything was going on. But the big one, Maura, we we talked about kind of this Mariners weekend and how it started off. Not the best note when you have a yeah. guy who had been so good in George Kirby. He goes out. Gives up four home runs, has his worst outing since last June against the Orioles. The Pirates come out, hit a franchise record seven. So you're thinking, all right, uh, maybe this is not going to be so great for the Mariners, but the weekend completely redeemed after a Eugenio Suarez home run. Yeah, I was at that game on Friday, and it was, um, it was that was that was tough. The fireworks were really nice after, <laughs> but um, yeah, I emailed you last night, and I was like, I think a Eugenio Suarez saved the vibes, Mister Good Vibes only, of the entire holiday weekend because. Yeah. It yeah. just after Friday's loss, it would have felt a lot different if they didn't take that series. I was going to say, how different does this feel coming in today when you had mentioned, okay, and the, the tweet that Brock sent out about, okay, well, the, the Mariners swept the A's. That's great. Everyone's been beating the A's. Everyone's been sweeping the A's. You need some kind of validation. You need maybe more proof to show that this team is back to where they belong, back to contention. And then they come out on Friday. They lose to the Pirates, a team that has been good but has had a terrible May. They haven't won a single series in May. So that was, for me, I kind of brought up to uh, Bob on Friday, that was kind of the litmus test where if the Mariners lose to the Pirates, maybe they're not a good team. And we had thought they were a good team. So to that point, every expectation is the Mariners could still be a good team. But your litmus test is the Pirates because the Pirates hadn't beaten a good team this month or since they had just lost to the since they beat the Dodgers way back in April. So, yeah, for you coming out of that weekend, I mean, what did you learn about the Saturday bounce back, the big Sunday walk off win and how you're feeling about the Mariners? Well, to me, as tough as that home run fest felt Friday, because what they ended up with seven Seven, home runs. Uh, the Mariners, like, they did put up six runs. And, in fact, this weekend they put up five runs or more in every game. And that's that's really what we've been hoping for. We've talked a lot about how amazing this pitching staff is. And it's like if you can get at least five runs a game, you're going to win more often than not. But that 
they were not doing that. So I've not only did I feel good about them playing a better team than the A's and coming out with that series win, especially before facing an even tougher team this week. Um, I, yeah, I feel good about the bats looking like they're starting to get going more consistently. That, yeah, that has to be a good feeling where strange that it's George Kirby, the one that gives up all those runs and he has the, yeah. the rare rough outing. But Like Mr. Command and Control. <laughs> and a guy who I had been going on and on about, about being a possible all-star game starter. Okay, so that goes out fault. the window. Okay. Uh, no, actually, I have a reason. And it's a solid, <laughs> fact-based reason why George Kirby's struggles happened. And I am wearing the hat, so I don't want to have too much criticism here. But oh, the think about no, no, not necessarily just that. I don't want to go all Brent Secker. <laughs> but think about the the common thread here of the only time George Kirby has had a bad outing since the opener. He's wearing those City Connect uniforms, and the Mariners now are zero and two wearing those uniforms. They lost to the Astros. Yeah. That was the only time they lost to them in that series. And then they go out there, just an unexplainable, inexplicable performance by George Kirby. There's no other explanation, right? It's got to be a sign of maybe, maybe these are not the best uniforms. So one game, okay, yeah, eh, not good. Two games, not a con- you know, not a overwhelming concern yet. But three games, right? If they come out and lose again, their next home Friday start. Is that's a streak, right? Is that enough of a consistent theme to say maybe maybe it's the uniform? You just do away with them. Uh, yeah, I don't know <laughs> if you can, but petition. you maybe wear some. I don't know. You get you got to wear like a second uniform underneath. You, you wear your good luck shirt or whatever pitchers do. They're so superstitious. All baseball players are superstitious. Mm-hmm. Think about the nature of sports. If teams start to think, huh, we're not playing well in these uniforms. Well, do you remember when Chris Sale didn't like the throwback uniforms <laughs> yeah. or whatever they were wearing and he like cut it all up and threw a fit? Dave Wyman still hates him to this day for that. <laughs> he thought it was a punk move. But yeah, no, it's he said it's it was like thing. too constricting. I can't wear this. He threw a temper tantrum. It's a thing. It's a thing in sports. So now my concern is, OK, next time. I think the next home Friday start is against the White Sox in the middle of June. So we'll have to be tracking that. But yes, it's uh, on a serious note. It's a it's a bad outing. It happens for George Kirby, but the fact that you can overcome that and that consistency consistency that you mentioned that feels like a great sign. Because what's been the issue all year? It's been the offense. Yes. Yeah. It hasn't been the pitching. George Kirby's going to go out there. He's going to be fine in his next start. His next few starts. I'm not saying he's going to string together eight quality starts like he did again. That's fantastic. That was uh, the best mark in baseball. But overwhelmingly so. The pitching has been very good. It's going to carry you. And to see the offense do this, that, that's very encouraging. Yeah. Well, and also to see Luis Castillo have a bounce back start, a couple of bounce back starts. Yeah. Like it's just, you, I think you already felt like the pitching was good, even if, like you said, Kirby has a stray outing like this. But getting the bats going and getting the bats going with Julio kind of being the leader of the weekend is what I think we've really needed to see. Yeah, it was fantastic because there's so much scrutiny that comes around him. Everything he does, uh, the struggles, the success, and now when he is signed forever for being a Mariner, hopefully, I mean, the the life of his contract, (laughs) you know, know, multi-year seems way, way down the line. Anything past 2030, I can't comprehend. So, yeah, we'll say forever. It gets a couple of years down the road. But because Julio is the face of this franchise for the next you know, decade plus, everything he does is under a microscope. So to see him on this seven-game hit streak, six multi-hit games, playing with some joy. I mean, his joy is infectious. Like you mentioned with Eugenio Suarez, if the vibes are good with Gino, <laughs> well, the vibes are great with Julio. When he's playing well, the whole team kind of is boosted around him. So to see that, I think it just it kind of lifts uh, all tides there. And it does cover up uh, maybe some of the deficiencies that are still there in the lineup. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll get to that later. I'm glad you said that because I, I felt the same way. It's this weird, inexplicable, like it just seems. And it's not like Julio was being a bad teammate or looked angry all the time or anything when he was struggling. In fact, I think he handled it very, very well. But there's just a different energy when he is playing the way that he played this weekend. He is the guy who is most important to this team. I mean, that's not going out of a limb to say that because of the, the superstar status you expect him to be. But he is a second-year player. And I know Jerry Depoto has talked about this. Scott Service has talked about this. And we'll hear from both of them a little bit later on. But you're going to have your struggles. You're going to have your ups and downs. Every baseball player is going to have their ups and downs. So to put all this weight on Julio... Rightfully so, because of what you're paying him, because of what he can represent. Well, that's going to happen. The problem is this year compared to last year, now that's there. So if he struggles, it's magnified. Where last year, right, we chalked up to, okay, he's a rookie. We don't expect it yet. Now he's coming on. That's great. This year, any kind of struggle is, well, our superstar is slumping. This this is not okay. So to see him get back to form, uh, just it feels like a great sign moving forward. Well, and it comes just in time because we've got the Yankees rolling into exactly. town and yeah. Aaron Judge. So we, <laughs> that's always a little bit scary. Although I did see, like, it does feel like they're not maybe as intimidating as they were a few weeks ago. I think they just went two and five in their recent uh, set of games. So, um, and I think Anthony Rizzo got a little banged up yesterday, but they said he's going to be okay. Is Aaron Judge still there, though? Yes, he's oh, still okay. there. Yeah, all right. He's, he's still, still there, unfortunately. The MVP is still there. He's in town today. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that. Plenty of Mariners talk. We're going to get some Seahawks talk as well. Shannon Dreher will join us at 9.30. And then, yeah, game one of that Mariners-Yankee series comes up at 5.30. Pre-game, 6.40, first pitch. Going to be a fun show. Rob Leland uh, behind the glass today, taking your spot, Maura. You're stepping into the hosting chair, so we're rolling till 10. Maura Dooley, Mike Lefko with you. It's the Brock and Salk Show, Seattle Sports Station on 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, it was an adventurous end to the series and the weekend, but uh, after the Mariners lost lead to the Pirates, after they made some key outs in the later innings, Eugenio Suarez came to the plate and sent everyone home happy. Pitch to Gino. Swung on. A rocket to left field. Absolutely mashed. See you later. Walking off Gino. Three-run blast, and the Mariners have won it. They've taken the game. They've taken the series. Gino! He's been at home plate. Every teammate as he looks to the sky, his arms wide, and he is pummeled at home plate. The celebration is on. Gary Hill fired up there. I Why not? That. I love uh, it. What a big, uh, you mentioned this, what a big way and kind of a, a must-have way to end that series, right? Because the, the justification of well, what did this team actually do to start the homestand? Yeah, they they won four games against the A's. That's great. You had to do that. That was good. You need to get back over 500. This kind of solidified all that and showed you that just because you did some things against the worst team in baseball also means, hey, you can do that against other teams that are good to maybe mediocre in baseball. Yeah, well, and it just it felt so good to get like that kind of win. They had yeah. so many exciting like down the stretch wins last year and you knew that someone was going to come up big and I hope they're heading back in that direction. I couldn't believe that was their first walk off of the season. Uh, but then I went back and looked. They had 13 last year, I think, and they did only have two to this 
point last year. So mm. I guess it's not it's not impossible that we we get going with more of these uh, to yeah. come. We are starting to see the chaos ball of the Mariners. And another thing we saw more of was uh, Julio finding his rhythm. Seven game hit streak, six game multi hits or six of those last seven. He's had multi hit games. And Scott Service kind of talked about the progress that he's seen in him. You no, know, there's a lot of work put in. Um, his swing was a little messed up. His timing wasn't good. Um, there's a lot of things going on. This is his second year. Um, and things never are this, like they are the first time you do something. The second time around, the league knows you. You've got to make some adjustments along the way, and he, he is. He looked great today. And really, this has been going on the last three or four days. I think it's five out of his last six games have been multi-hit games. It's coming. With the way the jump ball is jumping off the bat, he's pulling the ball a little bit more now, getting it in the air. It's good to see. Feels like it, right? Feels like he is yeah. kind of locked in now. Definitely. I mean, I would I would almost say he's back, but service said it's coming. We'll, we'll keep it even killed. Go with he's, it. No, he's back. He's I, back. I think we're almost there. Yeah. And it's just it's just great to see. It's what I mean, we had Jeff Passon tell us on the show earlier this season that the Mariners are going to go as Julio goes this year. And, and I believe it. And this is something we've been waiting on. I think there was a, a period there where some fans were kind of not wanting you to talk about Julio's struggles. Like, it, I know he's beloved and it wasn't that we were trying to be negative about him, but it's just that you know how important he's going to be, whether you think that's fair or not. Yeah. Bryce Miller versus Domingo Herman on the mound today. First game of the series against the Yankees. Final series, the homestand before an eight game road trip. Pre-game at 530. First pitch at 640. Here's the second thing you need to know. All right. Despite more, I wanted to start with this. We're going to talk about it now. <laughs> Quite a game six on Saturday night Quite between the was. Heat and the Celtics. I'll play the call, but how fired up were you? Oh, my gosh. I I mean, I initially, along with everyone else, including the announcers, thought that that went in too late and they had just gotten eliminated. But, uh, yeah, Derek White, who, uh, by the way, shout out, apparently spent a little bit of time at UCCS, a small division of CU in Colorado Springs that I went to. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, here he is on the tip back that uh, saved the Celtics season and sent this uh, Eastern Conference Finals to a Game 7. I don't think he got that inning again. You have to protect the offensive rebound. Oh, he got oh, rid of it. He That's sure a did. Celtic win. And we're going the to game seven. The Celtics are going to win. There's a game seven back in Boston. Did you think it was in? At the, the moment it happened? Oh, no, I definitely... Just because it was 2.1 seconds, Derek White inbounded the ball. He was, like, still not even in the right spot when Marcus shot, missed his shot, and somehow he got under the net in, like, record time. He is very fast, but I no, of course, I, I thought that time had run out. Yeah. And it's crazy to look back and see that um, earlier, like, just before that, Jimmy Butler had gotten fouled by Al Horford. They... The Celtics challenged that to see whether it was a two or three point foul. And because they challenged that, they ended up adding 0.9 seconds Ooh. back onto the clock. And that was the difference. Makes like they difference. would have lost without that 0.9 wow. seconds. Game seven tonight, 530 in Boston. Only four teams have ever forced the game seven after being down 3-0. And no one has ever come back to win the series. 
Here's the third thing you need to know. Also, a big weekend around Seattle. UW softball, after having to rally back and save their season in the regional, much less stressful super regional. They lock down Louisiana Lafayette, and they're heading back to the Women's College World Series. On the eighth pitch of the at-bat, it's popped up to short. Holtorf squeezes it, and the Huskies... For the 15th time in school history, the Washington Huskies are headed to the Women's College World Series. Really impressive, and I don't know how much you guys kind of dove into that uh, on the regionals last weekend, but yeah, that rally against McNeese when they were down 6 nothing, down to their, their final outs, I think their final strike, they come back and win, and now they're cruising, and they get down to the, the final eight to the softball world. A really impressive feat there for the Huskies. Yeah, uh, Coach Heather Tarr just does an amazing job there. They've become a pretty dominant program during her tenure. Um, this will be their first time going back to the College World Series since 2019, I think, but... Um, and just a great game yesterday. Friday, they were really dominant, winning 8 nothing. But yesterday, it was took a little more work. And I love seeing Brooklyn Carter steal home in oh, the seventh yeah. inning. Yeah. That was awesome. So um, Utah and San Diego State played yesterday. Um, and Utah advanced. So that's who UW will face in Oklahoma City on Thursday. Yeah, a little Pac-12 matchup. And I think you at US or Stanford's there as well. So three of the eight represented by the Pac-12 and UW and Utah. Got the Doing something right. Pac-12 tournament, right. It's the Pac-12 tournament in the Women's College World Series, even though the the conference, yeah, we've talked about their struggles, but uh, good for the Huskies there. Women's College World Series begins on Thursday for them. And one more thing uh, you need to know, the Cardinals released DeAndre Hopkins on Friday. Hopkins was going to have nearly a third or just over a $30 million cap hit this season. The Cardinals, they're taking a dead cap hit of $22.6 million just to get rid of him. Ouch. I saw that um, Joel Corey, who's a salary cap analyst who used to be an executive in the NFL, um, said that they could have made him a June 1st de- designation and split that cap over the next two years. But they've already done that with Rodney Hudson and J.J. Watt, and you can only do two a year. So it just feels like they continue to bungle things. Like, I can't believe that they couldn't find someone. But I think DeAndre Hopkins speaking out about his unhappiness there also makes it harder to find a trade partner. People know that you have to unload him. Yeah, he went on that podcast, and you guys have played that. We've talked about it, and we'll uh, we'll hear one more from that because uh, now you wonder, okay, well, where could he be going now that he is a free agent? But, uh, yeah, strange situation for the Cardinals. And speaking of the NFC West, well, last week of Seahawks OTAs is this week, and then it's already mandatory minicamp coming up after that. Maura, you were out there. I was out there. We'll, uh, we'll break it all down. We'll discuss what we saw. It's the Brock and Salk Show. You're listening to Seattle Sports Station on 710 and the Seattle Sports app. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We are here on a Monday. Mike Lefko, Maura Dooley with you. Rob Leland behind the glass. Brock and Salk back tomorrow, but we're carrying you up until 10 o'clock. Shannon Schreier with us at 9.30. And then uh, Mariners, Yankees at 6.30, 5.30 pregame show. We'll get you started. We want to talk a little bit of Seahawks going on here because, yes, we're in the midst of a baseball season, Mora, and we day in and day out focus on what the Mariners are doing, but this is a huge offseason for the Seahawks. There's a lot of momentum after last year, a lot of excitement from this draft class as well, and when OTAs got underway, we were out there. There, there was a lot to look at, and the funny thing is, I don't know if you had this experience as well, but you know that first day when everyone's back, you're just trying to figure out 
who everyone is, where the numbers are, and who where everyone's oh, yeah. out there. Because rookie minicamp, lots smaller, obviously, even though with all the rookies they had well, out there. We're always trying to figure out who's yeah. not there. Yeah. Like, wait, have you seen Tariq Woolen yet? Have you seen Tariq Woolen yeah, yet? And that, then, you know, we found out why the next day. So that, right, that was the, the, the strange part about the first day. You're just trying to see who is there, who's not there. And then you're cataloging, all right, who's wearing this number? Oh, they look like this. Hey, that person looks taller. That person looks bigger. You don't really, at least for me, I, I wasn't really paying attention to how people looked that day. I was trying to see who was there and who wasn't. And it turned out, yeah, that, that first Monday, it was a big deal. Tariq Wollin wasn't there. Then you kind of settle in. And you're like, okay, well, this is how these guys look. These are some of the, the drills that the defensive ends look sharp in. This guy looks big. He looks fast. And I know you guys have all talked about you can't really learn much in terms of how someone's season is going to go by OTAs. And I know the Seahawks players as well, we've heard from them, they've mentioned it's for the defense. You're going to get a lot more from defense than you get out of the offense, or no, vice versa, right? It's for the offense because you can run timing, you get all these things down. The defense mm-hmm. in shorts and helmets, you aren't going to learn much. And you can't hit, yes. Yeah, you can't hit. So, okay, we're not going to make these far-ranging observations that say, well, this is happening now, so that's what's going to happen for the season. But... You can still learn a lot, especially from the young guys. And I know there were some things that jumped out to you, uh, kind of three big things position group-wise or in terms of maybe what you need to see more of. So I don't know if there was one big thing you started, you wanted to start with or what we wanted to get into, but what was kind of one of the big impact takeaways you had? Um, I watched a lot of the defensive drills on Thursday and just watching um, – there, there was a bit of a contrast watching like the edge rushers. I was going – Okay, they've got Boye Mafe, Daryl Taylor, uh, Chenna Nwosu, Derek Hall, the rookie who just looks like a monster. Salkin, I could not get over. Like He looks like he's wearing shoulder pads when he's not. Oh, really? <laughs> he was like attacking those sleds. Um, and then I, like, I had to look up, I think it's number 92. I was like, who is that? I forgot about Tyreek Smith, who they drafted in the fifth round out of Ohio State last year um, because he immediately had like a hip issue and then I think his other hip was bothering him too and he was out the whole season. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's an intriguing guy to watch out for this camp as well. I think we saw from Daryl Taylor missing his rookie season that that does put you behind quite a bit, but they've got some depth there. And then the same at cornerback. It was really cool to see Trey Brown healthy again. He had some nice pass breakups. And then you see Mike Jackson out there. I know Clint Hurt was just like, that guy does not no quit. He is super competitive and he we probably didn't talk enough about how well he played last year. Um and so I think that there's going to be a strong competition. I Will and I know they said we'll be out until training camp. I'm not sure mm-hmm. when he'll be able to practice again, but it's considered like a pretty minor surgery. We hope he's going to be good to go pretty quickly. But yeah, with with uh, the rookie Devin Witherspoon coming in, it seems like there's going to be some battles at that position in training camp that I'm excited to see. Um, but then, in contrast, watching the defensive tackle drills, I was going like, "Where are the nose tackles? <laughs> Who's there? <laughs> We've got Cam Young, the rookie. Yeah. Who I mean, he looks great. He's showed up 320 pounds. He's the size that you want to be able to take up some space and open things up for Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner, but." Still, I mean, they brought in some other, like, undrafted rookies. They brought in a nose tackle that was playing for the Sea Dragons, but you still just are kind of kind of nervous, I feel like, about how that position's going to be filled, yeah. especially with the way they struggled last year against the run. Yeah, and Brian Monet, who might be, what, the established guy, the only established guy they have left there, 
We don't really know when he's coming back. That was a late season injury he suffered. That ACL came in, what, week 15 uh, against the 49ers. So that's all the way in December. Well, and Pete Carroll said. A year timeline. There, quote, was more going on in there than we realized, and it's going to be a while. Yeah. So he has Never good to hear. I've seen him. He has been at OTAs. No brace, no, like, uh, boot or anything like that. So that's good, but he's not practicing. Right. That's, and it doesn't, I mean, that, that worries you, like, an ACL, you don't want to rush that back, especially at a critical position in there, in the heart of the defense where you're engaging in so much contact on every play. So what you kind of alluded to there, it seems like Cam Young is the answer or the hope that this is the guy who's going to come in and be your starting nose tackle. And if it works out, that's great. That's a fantastic find, especially uh, in the later round. And we saw it work out on the offensive line last year, but it does feel like that's the one position where a lot is unsettled. And then you're putting a lot on Jaron Reed and Draymond Jones. And they could be those guys. I mean, you guys just talked to Jaron Reed on Friday. We know what he did his first time here. The expectation for Draymond Jones, after everything we've heard from Pete Carroll and John Schneider, that they wanted him originally in the Russell Wilson trade. So if those two guys can give you a little boost, maybe it takes some off of the true heart of that defense. But trying to replace Al Woods, having a rookie come in and not really have any noticeable depth behind him, that does feel like something that might have to get shored up. And maybe there is a a free agent push out there that that's you know what's funny and this is maybe a little bit of a, a distraction where we'll get back to kind of the position groups here but it almost feels like free agency has just completely evaporated like there are still oh, free yeah. agents out there there are still guys it's that gotten to the point where it happens within the first three days and yeah. then it's just other than a few random signings it's just seems like it's done the problem is there's no big name so yeah. it's not going to be someone that we know or has a superstar I mean, prowess I guess or, we did have the mario edwards jr edition yeah. recently I'm just thinking like nose tackle wise. Like, yeah. is there someone else? We, we have no idea. So I mean, maybe there is. Maybe there's not. Is still out there. Uh, we kind of went over some of the names. It really wasn't a lot. Every most of them are going to be older, but maybe it would be nice to get one of those guys in just to just to help a, a Cam Young along. Mentor him. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah. And there is also the chance, like we haven't seen this in a little while, but the Seahawks have made those deals at the end of training camp, like when they um, traded, what, Cassius Marsh to the Seahawks for Justin Coleman, and that turned out pretty good for them that year. There might be something like that that they could pull off. I know John Schneider always seems to have a good eye for defensive players on other teams, like a DJ Reed or something that didn't work out. Yeah, so nose tackle may be a little bit unsettled, but when you mentioned out of the edge rushers and you just rattled off a list that is very enviable, a lot of depth, a lot of competition, and Clint Hurt talked about all that and mentioned Tyreek Smith as well. Very talented group, guys that can do the full embodiment of the job. You know, set edges, play the run game, do the things of pass coverage when we do ask them to do that, and obviously they can rush. You know, obviously we got nine and a half sacks apiece out of uh, DT and Chenna last year. Mafia's going to take huge steps in that direction. Obviously, that's something we feel like Derek and him becoming, too. A guy that's a very talented rusher from what he's shown, uh, but obviously he hasn't done a lot on the practice field. But the early stuff in our uh, drill work and OTAs has been Tariq Smith. You know, he's a very skilled guy with his hands, fluid hips and feet. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, as he, continue, as he continues to progress. Obviously, it's open competition. You know, no, nobody's name has had their starting position written in uh, ink yet. So still got a lot of competition and days of practice left to go. Well, that feels good, right? And I think that's a yeah. position where you can never have too much depth. Sometimes you look at 
maybe we look at the the secondary and all these safeties and you think wow okay how are they all going to get onto the field and then things happen or with the cornerback spot this big competition where the spot seems settled but okay now Tariq Woolen has a bit of an injury Trey Brown's still working his way back so to have that depth and bring guys on in waves too Cliff Averill has mentioned this recently when he's been on our station that what he wanted to see out of the Seahawks defense was building up the waves of depth, the kind of competition and the second team coming on almost that was as good as the first, the, the level of defense that they had when they won the Super Bowl, that the competition that he was fighting with, he and Michael Bennett, that they were pushing everyone, mm-hmm. and the Seahawks don't have that yet. But if you have someone like Tyreek Smith and Boye Mafe, who aren't starters, who are your second wave coming in, and they're just as good, and that drop-off isn't significant, that seems like a huge advantage compared to where this team has been over the past few seasons. Yeah, I think Pete Carroll, when he came on with us, was talking about like with the pass rushers wanting those guys because a lot of what they like about them is their speed off the edge. They want them to be fresh. And he said, I think he said that we want to send them in waves. So you need that depth in order to to keep everyone at their at their best speed. And I did like to see that Daryl Taylor, it, uh, at first I was like, wow, he looks slimmer. And like, you, you think like he's trying to sack quarterbacks. He needs to be a bigger yeah. guy. But uh, yeah, I kind of wonder because they really are valuing that speed and athleticism off the edge there. If he did that on purpose to try to try to get, get some leverage in yeah. there and getting at the quarterback. But I would say he's the great unknown too, right? He's shown this freakish athletic ability and we know what he does when he plays well. And then sometimes he has things where he, runs onto the field in the middle of a play. So, yeah, you just you still don't know what to, what to get uh, from Daryl Taylor. But if you get positive contributions from him, you get something from Tyreek Smith now after not having a rookie season. Boy, Mafe continues to grow. And then the starters really you already have. I really want to see more of him. Yeah. I felt like they... Uh, that he did have some flashes last year. They, they didn't use him consistently. Yeah, yeah Boye Mafe. I like him a lot. Well, and I think what Pete Carroll mentioned, that that's who Derek Hall reminds them of. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's quite a comparison because, yeah, we haven't even seen a lot of Boye Mafe. But if he's a, your second-round pick from 2022 and he's going to really take the next step, and then you have a Derek Hall lookalike in, in that, or you have a Boye Mafe lookalike in Derek Hall – that's encouraging. You know, maybe still raw. Maybe they won't be your, your big sack producers like any Chen and Nuoso should be. But a uh, lot, lot of depth, a lot of unknowns and still growing potential out of that unit. Now, one other thing that you and I were kind of looking at that first day when I was out there, because then we ended up having him on the show right after. And this is a wild, wide open competition, it feels like. Center. You yeah. don't have any returning experience at center and you have a rookie. You have a guy you brought over from the Lions, and then you have a guy who was still on the team but really didn't get much run at center. And Shane Waldron is kind of mentioning that and saying, well, all right, he wants someone to win this job and then keep this job for the long term. Yeah, I think, well, I think there was a good foundation that was laid, uh, you know, over the past uh, year by Austin there and guys with the communication and, and you know, guys around that center position being an offensive system uh, for multiple seasons now. And so for one of these guys to really step up and, and take that position, you know, whether it's Evan or Olu or Joey uh, moving forward and, and allowing for that ca- uh, continuity, you know, beyond just the, the, the one uh, the one season approach would obviously be beneficial. But, you know, it is a, it is a year-to-year league, and, and, you know, each team, each season has got a little bit of, you know, different features and different, you know, aspects to it. So, you know, we're looking for the best guy that we can find for, for this coming season. So what do you think happens there? This very intriguing center competition. Yeah, and I agree with him because how many times have we heard, like, you know, back when the offensive line was kind of the bane of 
Russell Wilson's existence when he was here and he wasn't happy with it. We heard a lot that like consistency on the offensive line is very important. They need reps together. They need and center is a position that just really hasn't felt like it's been set for a long time here. Like they've they've tried some different guys. I don't think that anyone ever really thought Ethan Posick was the answer, but he was there for a little while. Mm-hmm. We like Justin Britt for a bit. He had some injury issues and then, you know, he ended up with the Texans. It's it just seems like they have been searching for that. Austin Blythe last year, from everything we heard, Waldron loved him because he was a vet that communicated his system really well. I think it was important to help install Waldron's system. But he retired. <laughs> and it is it is something, especially with having the the rookie tackles last year they're still very young and new to everything and then you have a couple of rookies fighting for spots this year I I think you definitely need a center in there that you feel very confident in that's communicating with everyone the right way so I would assume that like Gino would have some say in this too right wouldn't you think that they would want to know who yeah. he meshes the best with I would think also that this is a position battle that gets resolved very quickly that's probably going to take into training camp, but quickly into training camp. It won't drag on. This is my expectation. They I don't think it'll drag us, on. But there yes, will be an internal. Because you need to have a guy taking all the reps or the majority True. of the reps with your quarterback. The last thing you want is a position battle at center going into you know the second preseason game. And Geno Smith, I'm sure comfortable with both of them or you know all three. But you don't. I, I wouldn't want my quarterback alternating centers when he's never been in a real game with them without having, all right, this is your first team guy. And you know what? Maybe they did have that decided last year at the quarterback spot. And, you know, we didn't know, obviously that was the overarching storyline yeah, of the Seahawks off season. It's an active competition, yeah. whether it's decided or not. But I want to see one center get the majority of reps with Geno Smith, because that's the most important position on the offensive line. That is the the guy who's touching the ball on every play, and it's the unsettled one. You look around the rest of the offensive line, and we're going to make some kind of fun predictions uh, for the Seahawks season next hour, but your offensive line's in solid shape. I mean, it feels good right now with the two tackles, the two second-year tackles now anchoring the left and right side. You have a little bit of depth at the guard spots with the draft picks you brought in. So center, the big unknown, get that resolved and uh, get Geno in there with a guy that he is comfortable with. And I really thought that from hearing Waldron's cut that they really almost were hinting at that they want Olu to step up and take this. (laughs) I mean, obviously they used a decent draft pick on him so that, but, but in my mind it was because he's the young rookie. So he's more the future. If you want a guy for the long term there, but I was surprised when I looked it up that Evan Brown, the vet they brought in from the lions is only 26 years old. Hmm. Um, And he had a lot of experience there playing guard and center. So it'll it'll be a good another good battle, I think. We'll see. That'll be maybe the the battle to watch of training camp because quarterback last year that that just takes over everything, and that was the yeah. only one worth caring about. There were other position battles, but this one, yeah, center is going to be a fun one to watch. So that'll be uh, plenty of discussion coming on that over the next what month as uh, mandatory mini camp starts on June six, and then training camp at the end of July. You'll hear plenty about the center competition. But right now, let's get to Blue eighty eight. This is Brock and Sox Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Heward breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Sox. Well, we called Brock Heward and he was like, nah, you know what, I don't really want to do this segment today. <laughs> uh, the rest of the day is off. Okay, week. you know what, it's understandable. Oh, he's not back tomorrow. 
Okay, no, he's sorry. out this whole I falsely week. promoted that. So Salk <laughs> will be back tomorrow. Um, not Brock and Salk, just Salk. But your regular crew is back, Maura, Justin, and Salk. But uh, right now, just myself, Mike Lefko, and Maura Dooley. So we're just kind of going to tee up three football questions and let the subjects answer them themselves. Right? I like we'll just it. Yeah, we'll just toss it out there, and the person we're asking about, they'll talk to you, and they'll give you the answer. So the first question, are the Raiders already in trouble heading into the 2023 season? You won't see him today. There's a number of guys that you're not going to see. Uh, again, I'm not going to – you'll see him. I mean, I'm not going to run down a list every time here, but um, – you know, no, he's he's going through his process just like we knew he would. Um, nothing has happened that would surprise us based on, you know, the information we had. Same thing with Tyree. Again, you know, there's a number of guys you're not going to see out there today. So, um, you know, rehabbing the things that they're rehabbing. And, again, we know we don't play a game for over 100 days. So, um, you know, they're doing everything they can do to, to get right. And when they're all ready to go, then eventually they'll be, they'll be back on the field. So that's Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels talking about Jimmy Garoppolo not being there. Well, okay, sure. It's OTAs. We know some marquee names are not at other teams around the NFL. But uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has some injury concerns, and he failed a physical. And now the whole future is in doubt here in Las, or Las Vegas. Yeah, what's uh, what's going on here with the Raiders? Yeah, I don't buy anything that he just said. I don't understand. Mike Florio is reporting that the, um, or I saw that the initial press conference that they had for Jimmy Garoppolo was delayed. And they're like, now we know the reason. It's like, wait, so did they not get the results for his physical until right before they already had a press conference planned to announce him? That seems like bad planning. But yeah, it seems like they did after that protect themselves. They added waivers that basically make it so that Garoppolo is going to be very easily dropped if he is not able to go this season but you got rid of Derek Carr who like honestly wasn't playing that poorly especially for what you have around like that defense was awful so I I just wonder what they're going to do I've heard rumor or like the rumor mill start that Brady could come back but he oh. just he just bought <laughs> okay he just bought like minority ownership in that team so is that so even play, allowed player owner Tom Brady yeah that'll be a first <laughs> If anyone's to do it, it wouldn't be surprising. Because Tom Josh Brady. McDaniels can apparently yeah. only sign Patriots or former <laughs> Patriot players. That's like what he did all offseason. He even brought Danny Amendola in as a coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, so um, from Michael Janitti of Spotrack, who runs that salary cap website, the contract now, it's an adjusted contract. Jimmy Garoppolo has to pass a physical before week one in order to get his $33.75 million guaranteed. If not, the Raiders, the Raiders can move on without issue you know they can just drop him and wow. move on there and that was the thing you mentioned the, the he had to have a waiver in his contract because he didn't pass a physical before the press conference and that news came out over the weekend so uh, a strange situation well, and there. apparently the 49ers had decided he didn't need surgery and then the Raiders did the physical and were like yeah he needs surgery so it's very weird the way these teams can differ in their assessments as yeah. well all right well number two so DeAndre Hopkins last week was on a podcast, the I Am An Athlete podcast, and this was before he was released from the Cardinals. Well, Friday, he was released from the Cardinals, so he's now a free agent, and we kind of go back to what he said in that podcast. This is DeAndre Hopkins, and we want to know, hey, DeAndre, where could you end up going? One of my favorite quarterbacks that I've, I've been watching since he came in the league is Josh Allen. He reminds me of an old school or of a new school Andrew Luck. You know, I love Josh Allen. Uh, Jalen Hurts, you know, man, he's a he, he, Houston kid, your dog, Jalen, the three, 
who I would love to to have a ball thrown by. Oh, man, Patrick Mahomes, obviously. Number four, I'm going to have to go with, I got to go with the underdog, man. Not, not a lot of people respect this guy, but, you know, as a, as a throwing quarterback, Lamar. Lamar Jackson, obviously. And number number five, man, I'm going to have to go with my, my, my dude in San Diego. Well, the charges. Herbert. We were making fun of Wyman because he always says San Diego still when it comes to uh, the Chargers. But, yeah, where do you think? Doesn't everyone? Yeah, I know. They're just forever the San Diego Chargers and maybe still the Oakland Raiders. But, yes, uh, where where do you think DeAndre Hopkins ends up? Uh, Well, I could see it being the Jets because I feel like Mm. Aaron Rodgers – is uh, being given the same leeway that Russell Wilson was last year, where basically he's in charge of the Jets right now. He already demanded that they bring like all of his former teammates that he wanted over, and uh, I don't know why you wouldn't want DeAndre Hopkins. I know he has had a little trouble staying on the field just the last couple of seasons, but it was more so that he had a suspension last year, um, and then there was a little injury towards the end of the year. But he even in, with that, in nine games, he had like 700 yards. Hmm. I I would I would put my money on the Jets. I mean, the Bills would be smart to go after him since he wants to play with Josh Allen. They could use another receiver. Sounds like the AFC is about to get even tougher, yeah. even better. Basically, is what we're getting at. Yeah, I mean, he didn't really. What, did he name? He oh, said he named uh, Jalen Hurts. Hurts. Yeah. yeah, they don't really need they receiver need help. Let's but, not have I him mean, go there. Yeah, <laughs> let's keep him in the AFC. All right, uh, number three. Well, we want to know here from Michael Bumpus, what is the narrative surrounding Geno Smith that Bump says we need to let go of? People talk about him not having game-winning drive. He can't win the game for you, man, yada, yada. I'm like, okay, and I'm just looking up game-winning drives. My man has 10 game-winning drives in his career. Five fourth-quarter comebacks. I was tripping. I'm like, this can't be true. His rookie season, he put together five. They beat Tampa, Buffalo, Atlanta, New England, and Cleveland. And then you go to year two, he puts two more together. They beat Tennessee and Miami. And then, believe it or not, they're crediting him with three game-winning drives last year against New York and the Rams twice. So I think that we got to start, we got to kill that noise. Hmm. Do you think that's fair? I mean, is there an unfair knock still around Gino that he hasn't done enough in the late clutch situations? I think there was for a large portion of the year last year, because I remember that being a topic on our show. Like, yeah, he looks pretty good. I think most of it was just because everyone was was very skeptical to buy into Gino. So it was like, yeah, he looks good, but he hasn't taken the ball in his hands in the last two minutes and personally won them a game. So let's wait till we see that. I felt like we were saying that for quite a bit. But I left the season feeling completely comfortable that he can do that. Um, but I do think for a lot of the year, we probably we probably did give him that criticism. And hearing that stat, it's like, well, yeah, he's, he did that quite a bit. Yeah. Well, especially because, yeah, game winning, the official game winning stats, it could be a drive that gives your team the lead. It doesn't have to be a, a final minute, you know, last 30 second drive. So we'll see. We, uh, we'll make some predictions about Geno Smith coming up as well. And the Seahawks. We're going to get into that. A lot still to come uh, here on the Brock and Salk Show. You have Mike Lefko and Maura Dooley filling in. We're going to go back to the Mariners. The offense looked good. Julio looked good over the weekend. So is he out of his slump? And what could this mean for a critical stretch for the Mariners if the offense is starting to come to life? All that coming up next, Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports Station on 710 and the Seattle Sports app.